Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. My name is Chris Bowlby. I'm the associate pastor here. I'm so glad that you've joined us. You've braved the heat. It's supposed to be 100 degrees by the end of day. I thought I moved out of Central Oregon, but apparently I have not. Uh, I am to thank or to blame, depending on your perspective. So uh, we're going to be receiving our tithes and and, uh, offerings. I'll have you guys come forward. Um, This is the way we participate in the Lord's work here of of New Hope, helping people find and follow Jesus. Uh, So let's pray. Lord, I thank you. God, for each and every family represented here, God, and uh, Lord, the sacrificial giving, God, that goes out, I pray you bless each and every family, Lord, and I pray that you would multiply it. We want as many people as possible to find you and to find the joy and the hardship and the satisfaction of following you, God. Um, God, and let this move towards that end. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, um, uh, yeah, Pastor Isaac is out of town right now. He is in Montana fly fishing. Do we got a picture of that up there? Look at him. He's got a death grip on that, on that brownie, right? Okay, let's all practice it together. If, if, you, guys, um, if you guys have never told a fish story, I, I want us all to do this together. When you're telling a fish story, you say the fish, all right, hold it up like this, is this big, okay? Good, you guys got it down. We wanted to show you that picture because next week he's going to say that he caught a 49-inch brown (laughs) trout, and uh, we wanted proof that that was not the case. Anyways, okay. All right, well, pull out your phones. If you've got your phones with you, pull those bad boys out. We are a church where we encourage you to bring your phone to church because we've got some fun. Um, Yeah, so uh, on the slide here, if you want to join the conversation, you can go to your web app, either Safari, Chrome, or the other ones that you might use, uh, pollev.com forward slash newhope, or uh, you can text newhope to the phone number 22. Three, three, three. There we go. And uh, yeah, let's just uh, let's just jump in. First, we've been uh, we've been covering this book. I am a church member. All right. How many of you have been reading the book along? Okay. Good job. Yeah. It's been it's been fantastic. We're on week five, and this is about how to have uh, how to lead your family to love the church. The church is a big deal. It's referred to in, in uh, parts as the bride of Christ. It focuses on the local church and our relationship. Jesus talked about the church being such a big deal. He said this, the gates of hell shall not prevail uh, against it. It is the agent of change and transformation in this world. And so um, it's a big deal. Jesus loves the, the uh, church, so I figure eh, we probably should too. So um, yeah. So anyways, we're going to have a little survey up here. Let's start with an easy one. 
Um, what was your favorite childhood treat? We've got, oh, we've got previous answers up there. Let's see if we'll get new ones through. Um, go ahead and send those in. What was your favorite childhood treat? Mac and cheese. More mac and cheesers. Oh, man. Rock candy. Is that just rocks that you eat as if they are candy, or is that, is, that's a thing? Rock candy, okay. Dilly bar, oh man, dilly bar for the win. Ice cream, Reese's peanut butter cups, pizza, whole pack of Oreos. Okay, you've heard it said here, folks, go big or go home. Uh, we talked about gluttony a few weeks back. Go ahead and read or uh, watch that sermon, feel free. Malted milk balls? Aren't those called whoppers, I'm pretty sure. It's very, de very descriptive. Charleston Chew. Who wants to claim the Charleston Chew? Yeah, boy! Oh, man. Have, have you ever frozen those? Fro freeze? Fro frozened. That's how, that's how you say that. If you freeze a Charleston Chew, it is going to change your life. DQ Blizzard... Baby Ruth, missile popsicles. Yeah, that's a thing. Okay. All right. Somebody say Fiji. I don't have my glasses on. Pixie sticks. Hot tamales. Oh, candy. Otherwise, I would make that. That makes more sense. Good. Well, you guys had a good, a good childhood. That's great. All kinds of pineapple. You are. Your family was not fun to go to their birthday party, right? <laughs> I had a friend who we showed up to his house, and um, we had carrot cake with actual carrot, like full like slices of carrot inside of the cake. I'm like, you have ruined my childhood right there with that one fail swoop. So anyways, that's, that's fun. Okay. All right, let's go to the next one. Talking about sports. What sports were, are your children involved with? If you have kids now, or you've had kids, or what sports or activities were they involved with? We got a few. We got the best sport up there, baseball, softball. Anyone care to argue? Feel free to be wrong. Basketball, nice. Soccer, other. What are the other ones? Anyone want to call out an other? Swimming, okay, good, yeah. Roller skating, that's a thing, yeah. Music, okay, yeah. Bowling, we've got a bunch of childhood professional bowlers out there. If your nine-year-old is bowling a 270, I am impressed, and I need to talk to him to teach me how to bowl. How about fishing? I like it. Yeah, lots of, lots of activities and sports. Let's go ahead and move on to the next one. This gets a little more serious. I want you to be honest, okay? Let's be totally honest here. How many Sundays have you missed in the last year for organized, uh, or for sports organized activities? One to four. See, we don't have zero on, on, on here, sorry. Um, five to eight, nine to 12. Any 13 plusers out there? We got one, okay, good. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm just making assumptions here, so. All right. 
Well, yeah, thank you. That gives us a springboard here to work off of. All right, because, I mean, as we're talking about sports, my childhood was sports. It was marked by sports. I played baseball, travel baseball, and travel, travel basketball. That's all we did growing up. And so this is how my year went. In the spring, we played baseball. Well, in Central Oregon, it's more like in the snow and the sleet, you play baseball. <clears throat> and the summer would roll around and we would play baseball. We would travel all around over the Pacific Northwest playing baseball. Then when it got time for the fall, we would travel over from Central Oregon over to the valley here, and we would play in a fall ball league. Uh, we got a hit with wood bats. That was so much fun. <clears throat> that was that. And then it was time for something different, so we would play travel basketball. We'd travel all around every single weekend. Many weekends spent here in Salem at the hoop. Who here has ever played basketball at the hoop? That was what our childhood was. Um, man, so many memories. So many memories from uh, sports. And here is one that I will never forget. It hurt like a toothache. See, I had already pitched 16 innings for the weekend, and it was everything I could possibly do to be able to pitch through a stiff arm and sore elbow, just to be able to get the ball to home plate. You see, 15 minutes earlier, I had hit a grand slam to left center to put us on top of Canby in the state tournament. The elation and adrenaline felt as I rounded the bases in ecstasy now gave way to anxiety as I took the mound two outs earlier. I had already given up a few singles and a ground rule double, and I managed to strike out the number eight and number nine batter as I ran on fumes, willing the ball to find the, the strike zone. My arm hurt. My legs were without the typical power that sent me down the mound. With a runner on third, I concentrated on the leadoff hitter standing in the box, waiting for my next uh, uh, offering. And then it, it, it happened. Strike. Ball. Ball. Then crack. The ball soared down the line, flirting with the, with the right field foul pole. Still to this day, I think it is the longest foul ball I have ever seen. With a count of two balls and two strikes, I reached back with everything I had. There was no more curveballs, there were no more sliders, and no more change-ups. I had one more fat fastball in me, and as I reached back and pushed with everything that I had, the ball moved up and in on the hands of a swinging batter, giving away to utter silence. And the quiet was interrupted with a billowing call of a strike, strike three and an eruption of cheering hats were thrown, voices screamed, and joy was overflowing. Do you feel me? Oh, man. I wanted you to bring... I wanted to bring you in on that, on that moment there because that was a major memory of my childhood. As I look back on that, that was so impactful. This was the most impactful moment of my entire childhood, 
summed up in one story right there. And I don't think, as I talk about this, my story is very unique. Many of you were involved with sports and stories just like this. According to the Open Access Journal of Sports Science, three out of four Americans with school-aged children, three out of four, have at least one child playing an organized sport. That is 45 million kids. 45 million kids involved with just playing, playing sports. According to Wintergreen Research, youth sports are a $45 billion a year industry. $45 billion. See, if you add in other activities such as music, theater, uh, bowling, <laughs> um, our children are spending, spending so many hours being, being discipled. That's what that is. They're being taught new skills and how to work through, through life, through sports and, sports and activities. That's discipleship. And this morning, I would like to just give us a time to be able to pause and ask ourselves what the value might be. Because the results of this tra- trajectory are alarming to say the least. According to the Fuller Youth Institute, multiple studies show that 40 to 50% of students involved with church will leave their faith by, by the time they, they get into college. Those who are in our churches, maybe even right now, who would say that their families actively attend, stats are showing at an alarming rate, 40 to 50% of them will leave their faith their sense of purpose and hope and joy by the time they leave college. See, I, we're not saying that youth sports are the cause of all of this. I'm not standing at this pulpit saying you should never in- involve your kids with sports. They're the devil. That's not what I'm saying, but I, I'm saying possibly this might cause us to stop and think that maybe some priorities may be out of whack. Because our next generation is certainly on the, uh, on the line here. See, some of us are thinking of having children in the future and wondering how we are going to raise them. Some of us have young children right now and feel the pull of our culture to, to allow all of, our, uh, all of our activities to disciple our children. Some of us have grown ch- children And maybe we look back on that time and maybe we would have changed things. Some of us will never, ever, 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 not even a little, ever, have kids. (laughs) But we have an interest in the next generation that, that will shape our culture. I'm telling you right now, the generation coming up will shape our culture. We all have a vested interest in that. And I have to say, I stand here as someone in the midst of this struggle. I have five daughters, and when I think about them, what I want more than anything else in this world is I want them to love Jesus. I want them to have a hope and a joy unlike any other, to know that they are loved beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond their faltering mom or dad. 
that they can put their trust in Jesus. I have a dog in this fight. Our family is constantly being pulled in so many different directions. My prayer is that this morning will be an opportunity really to press, press pause and to evaluate the direction and influence we have on the next generation. They are being discipled. The next generation, I assure you, is being discipled. And we have to stop and think, is it leading our youth? Is it leading the next generation towards the hope and joy of Jesus Christ? Those moments that we experienced just a few minutes ago of the peace that surpasses all understanding, are we leading our kids towards that? I'm so thankful that God's word, the Bible, has such a practical word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. God, give us a heart for our kids, our neighbor's kids, our grandkids, the children of this church, God. Would you let us stand in faith, knowing you have a purpose and a plan for each and every person, no matter the age, and for us to play our part in helping every person to find you and to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 We're going to be in 1 Corinthians. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We'll be in chapter 7. Um, I will read it here, and it'll be up on the screen um, as uh, well. But if you'd like to flip to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll start in verse 12. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from, from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is, who is not a believer, and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, her children would not be holy, but now they are holy." See, Paul gives insight to the missionary influence and power of the family unit. The next generation is not born into faith. Some of you coming from other religious backgrounds um, uh, have uh, observed infant baptism. This, this idea that we baptize kids or, or babies, rather. And we don't believe in that. We believe baptism is a choice. It's a public declaration that, that people make as they have, have the power and the knowledge and the understanding to be able to choose to follow Jesus. I mean, our infants do not come into this world praising God. They do not come into this world set on being able to follow him. So as parents and adults, we have missionary influence to, to the next generation. Um, I wish my kids came into this world knowing how to follow Jesus with every area of their life. They would not draw a Sharpie all over our brand new bunk bed at my house. They would not take off Charlie's diaper and run around the house and throw it out the front door. They would not do all of those things. 
They would be obeying their parents at all times. But that's not how that works. Yes, and I digress. In our reading, in our reading this week, um, Tom, Tom Rainer hits this, uh, hits this passage here. And I love, the cl- I love the clarity he brings here. He says this, Paul then explains one of the primary reasons for the admonition. The believing spouse is a testimony of Christ to the unbelieving spouse and to any children in the family. You see, following Jesus for families is much more than having well-read, well-adjusted, and well-rounded kids. I mean, do you see how that's the pull of our, uh, of our culture? Is that, man, our role as a parent to make sure our kids are well-adjusted and never take off their shoes in the car before we have to get out and go into Red Robin. They have to behave us, and they have to be good in school, and we have to get good reports from their teachers. These are all valid things. We all want these, these things. But for the follower of Jesus, for the Christ follower, our role as parents and leaders in the lives of the next generation is bigger. Following Jesus ourselves, meaning leading our children to encounter and follow Jesus. I love that our kids get to be a part of our worship experience. I don't know about you, but I was a, I was a weeping mess as I heard these kids I mean, in their own understanding, call out praises to God that have been instilled inside of them by their parents, by their grandparents, by their teachers. If you are, if you are a kids worker, I would just like, eh, everyone, can, can, can we give these kids workers a round of applause? Youth workers, too. The grind. Did, who just got back from camp? Do we have any youth leaders who just got back? Oh, man. Yeah, five or six days of that. Man, well done. We've got people instilling matters of faith inside of the next generation here. Following Jesus is much bigger than stewarding behavior. It's teaching, teaching the next generation how to follow Jesus and how to encounter his spirit. It's a big job because it's not just about Finding and following Jesus, yes, but our role also is to teach the next generation how to love the church, too. I'm going to share a story here soon, but my, my life has been marked by the church, by people investing inside of me through the local church. And it seems like such a big task. Like, how could we possibly do this? But we are all called... And we are all empowered to and for this super important missional work. Acts chapter 1 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, Samaria and the ends of the earth seem much more tangible. As a four-square church, we believe in the gospel reaching out to the ends of the earth. Did you know that the four-square church has more churches outside of the United States than it does inside? I mean, it's like way more. 
We believe that Jesus is for the ends of the earth. But Jerusalem can, can feel so small. What's right in front of us can feel so, so small. We can donate money in a matter of seconds to, to causes affecting change around the globe. But Jerusalem feels small. I would just like to maybe invite you to change your perspective just a bit. If you have a family, Jerusalem is around your dinner table. It's tucking your kids in at night. It's on the drive to, to Sunday service. It's on the drive home from, from school. It's your family. If you're a grandparent, it's you watching those kids so mom and dad could get a date night, could have a conversation about some sort of adult thing. Keep doing that. It's investing. It's Sunday, it's su Sunday mornings. It's holding babies. It's being inside of our youth group, dancing and trying to figure out what this whole flossing thing is. It's a dance move, in case you didn't know. But it's these little investments. That's what Jerusalem is. It feels so small. I just, I just want to pause just for a sec. If you are a stay-at-home parent, sometimes when you're, when you're at home, in the daily grind, and you're wiping noses and other things. You're changing diapers and you're making dinners and you're a shuttle service. It can feel so small. You can feel like you're not important. But I want you to know that God sees you. That you're taking care of Jerusalem. You're making sure your kids and your next generation influence, all of those would understand that they are accepted, that they are loved, and like they, they belong. What you do matters because you are affecting change. According to the Barna Research Group, um, uh, it shows that 64% of all U.S. professing Christians decide to follow Jesus before the age of 18. 64%. Now, if I told you there was a group of, of, of people that we could reach, I said, man, if we go to this town now, if we raise funds up, and I, there is a 64% chance that they're going to follow Jesus, that 64% of them are, are going to choose to follow Jesus if we just went now? Man, we would be on that. We would be excited. And I'm here to let you know that inside of your families, the next generation, we have a mission field opportunity like no other. What you're doing matters, and it, and it is impactful. From from the beginning, God's plan was for family to be the main instruments of, of missions. Oh, you don't believe me? Well, I've got scripture right here. <laughs> We've got Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says this, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to, to your children. 
Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. When you are going to bed and when you are getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your, your gates. Our homes are to be surrounded by the influence and love of Jesus. If Jesus is at the center of our lives, he is at the center of our, of our homes. And in that same vein, I would say the opposite is true too. This may be hard, but if, if Jesus is not at the center of our homes, then Jesus is not at the center of our, uh, of our lives. He's cast out to the edge. He's cast to a, to a Sunday morning, to a Wednesday night, night Bible study. The Jesus that we worship and we serve for the Christ follower invades our homes. It invades our conversations on the way to, on the way to school when we tuck our kids in at night. It's everywhere. This Jesus influences every area of our lives. For, for the Christ follower, we have the opportunity to shape an entire generation through our commitment to Jesus and subsequently to our commitment to the bride of Christ, the local church, the hope of the world. This is what God, God has for us. Dr. Christian Smith, uh, he's a sociologist from Notre Dame. He says this, most teenagers and their parents may not realize it, but a lot of research in the sociology of re religion suggests that the most important social influence in shaping young people's religious lives is the religious life modeled and taught to them by their parents. That should seem like good news. That the influence you have, your influence of following Jesus and modeling the tra transformation of Christ inside of your life is affecting those who come after you. There is, is an enemy of our souls that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He would like nothing more than to, to minimize via overscheduling and misplaced pri priorities. Don't think for a second that the enemy hasn't laid traps for, for us to concentrate on anything and everything besides Jesus that moves us away from having our kids experience the community, the, the bride of Christ that can affect change. He wants for you to concentrate on anything other than the divinely inspired institution, the bride of Christ, the local church. Uh, I would like to tell you uh, another story. I was 21 when Alyssa and I became pregnant. Well, she became pregnant. Yeah. She, if she were here, she would make sure I, I told you that I was not pregnant. Although, judging by the scale, I, I kind of became pregnant. <laughs> A little food baby by the end of that. But uh, I was 21. I mean, all those feelings. Do you remember what it was like, your first kid? Some of you are like, no, I don't have any kids, but it's really cool. You're really excited. 
you're overjoyed, you're freaked out, but you know you're going to be bringing life into this world. Moments of elation turned towards anxiety as my wife went into an operating room for a C-section at 27 weeks. See, hours earlier, we had sat in a cold, dimly lit room as a doctor told us what our, what our chances were. He said to us, he said, I want to pre- prepare you for the reality of what you're facing. Your child, if we can perform this procedure, has an 80% chance to live. And as he said that, it was almost like, hey, 80% chance to live, but it cut to this 21-year-old's heart. I was without peace. He would go on to say that our child was almost guaranteed physical and mental uh, impairment. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. We sat in that hospital room, bawling. And she went there. She went under. This 27-week-old baby was born. She survived, but we would spend the next almost three months wondering if she was going to pull through or what she'd be like. We spent the next years wondering if she'd ever learn how to walk or ever learn how to talk. Let me tell you what thought did not cross my mind during that time. That was amazing to hit that grand slam. I'm sure glad I spent literally thousands of of hours hitting off a tee, soft tossing and taking, taking batting practice, traveling around the state of Oregon and the Pacific Northwest. As I sat in that room with a two-pound child, wondering what our life would look like, I cried my eyes out, and I prayed that God would somehow give us hope. See, I was so thankful that the Lord had gotten a hold of my life, that before this ever took place, I knew where to find hope. I was thankful for the sermons and the Bible studies that taught me about God's sovereignty and power. I was thankful for for the people involved inside of my life that I met inside of the church that believed in this 18-year-old punk kid that I was pushing away, that they believed in me. They gave me space and they gave me a sense of belonging. I met them inside of the local church and they were there to support me during this time. Without the local church, I would not be here. My hope would be somewhere else. Because at this time, I was ready to give up. And it was the people who surrounded me from that church that literally changed my life. See, if we can encourage our our kids in their faith and teach them to engage with the local church, in all of its holiness, its transformational power, its community, its mess, its dysfunction, and its beauty, we give the next generation a handhold to change the world. We give them 
a handhold to change the, the world. So how can we change the tra trajectory of our families? How can we lead our families to love the local church? And I have a few invitations for you this, this morning. One, be tra transformed. See, Dr. Christian Smith says this in the book, Sticky Faith. If you've never read this book, it's, it's a great read. He says this, when it comes to kids' faith, parents get what they are. When it comes to kids' faith, parents get what they are. Join a, an alpha or a rooted experience this fall. Be committed to modeling what it means to, to chase after Jesus. We've got signups right in the lobby there. You'll see how to sign up uh, online or in paper format. Join something, be changed, be transformed, whatever that next step is, we would in encourage you to take it. Two, be involved. Be involved on a regular basis. If co commitments to extracurricular activities are in the way of regularly engaging with this church, then I, this is hard, but maybe reprioritize -pri your schedule. If you regularly can't be here, maybe it's time to take a look at your schedule. And I'll say this. I mean, if, if you find that you live too far uh, away from this church, I mean, we've got a wide swath. We've got people coming from Dallas and Silverton and Kaiser and uh, Homsville, Staten. I mean, it's crazy. And that's great. We want you here. Welcome. I mean, but if you can't engage with the church on a regular basis, I, I would encourage you to talk to myself or Pastor Isaac. Maybe he can help you find someplace closer where you can engage on a regular basis. And I say that. I want you to know this is not for us. This is not about butts in the seat. It's not about money through tithe. We, we believe in the power of Jesus. We believe in the power of the local church that if you show up, and engage with other people. That this right here is not just a concert and a TED Talk with, with Bible verses. That when we gather like this, there is something transformational that, that takes place. And if we get the next generation to love this, the gathering of all of the believers, things will change. And three, involve Involve your children in regular spiritual practices. I'd like to speak to the parents right now who are in the grind right now. The parents, the guardians, the foster parents, those of you who have young kids who are still in the house right now. The enemy wants you to feel shame. The enemy wants you to feel unqualified that you don't have what it takes. But I would like to say that the very act that you have influence over a child in your life is God's way of telling you that you have what it takes. It says, Scripture said in Acts chapter 1, that it's when the, when, when the Holy Spirit comes and you are empowered, you will be empowered to be, to be a witness, that it's the Holy Spirit that empowers you that all you have to do is just keep taking those next steps 
and keep leading your family towards loving Jesus. New Hope wants to partner with you. Why? Because it's not the church. It's you who are the God-ordained spiritual champion of your family. And if you're a grandparent, man, you have such an influence. If you don't have influence over a child now, I would invite you, reach out. There are opportunities every single week to be involved with the life of a child that chances are if a healthy adult involves themselves and gives a place of belonging and acceptance that they're going to choose to follow Jesus that you could show up and do that I want you to talk to, to myself or Danya or Brett but get involved influence a child you are empowered I'd like to take a second just to imagine the end what do you want your children or the next generation that you have influence over what do you want them to to look like if they're 30 years old what do you want them to, to look like What personality traits do you want them to have? How do you want them to handle stress and anxiety? What do you want their relationship to be with God, to be with the local church? Scripture is clear about the heartache experienced in this world. John 16 says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Stress, anxiety, divorce, sickness, depression, bankruptcy, the next generation, our kids are in in danger of being crushed by the weight of this world without the hope and the glory of Jesus Christ. You know what that bone-crushing weight feels like. Maybe you're experiencing it right now, and this message is for you, that there is hope in Jesus Christ, He who lifts our burdens, He who is our perfect peace. We can teach others. We can teach the next generation to be able to trust in Him. What if through our example... The next generation models the trust to to navigate life unlike has ever been seen. Through the local church, the next generation has the community needed to withstand life's trials, to experience the love and relationship and the sense of acceptance and, and belonging only experienced inside of the local church. The joys of serving the Lord, because of our missionary work, you are sent ones. Your dedication in the day-to-day grind can and will make a difference. If you do not have children, you also get a chance to shape the next generation through youth group, through children's ministry and other events. You can shape the future generations today with small steps of faith, making sure they 
are perfectly loved and perfectly accepted. Jesus has empowered you for this task. And we get the opportunity to center our lives towards teaching the next generation to love Jesus and love the local church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the courage and the strength, God, the boldness. God, our lives just seem like they have so much inertia sometimes. I feel it, God, that to change the routine seems next to impossible, Lord. But I pray for the courage that it would take, God, to orient our lives towards our own discipleship and the discipleship uh, of our children, Lord, and the rest of the next generation, Lord. Help us be focused on that, of the missionary field that, that you have set before us. Let us steward that. Let us reach out, God. God, we thank you for the gift of the local church. God, I'm thankful that you reached through, God, those wonderful people inside of that youth group, God. I'm thankful, God, that you touched this prideful 18-year-old's heart. It was only through their patience and love that I'm standing here now. Let us be those type of people who are inspired, empowered, and, and em emboldened to make the choices that bring about change. Now, you, you may be here and, and you're hearing about this hope that comes through trusting in Jesus. That there is hope beyond the day-to-day -day grind. That by trusting and following Jesus' path for your life, that something can be different. That something can change. If you've never put your trust in Jesus before, if this is your first time or your first time in a long time of wanting to put your hope and trust in him with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, would you raise your hand? I would just like to agree with you in prayer that this is a big deal. You're choosing to follow him. See that? Yeah, I see your hand. Anybody else? This is just a physical act of what's going inside of your heart right now. Now, if you are, um, if you are inspired to, to re-engage re with, with what it means to be the spiritual champion of your family, if you feel empowered and you want to lead your family to love Jesus and to follow him and, and to love the bride of Christ, to be involved with a community of believers, we want to agree with you in prayer too. Would you raise your hand? If you're choosing to lead your family that, that way, yes, I see the hands. I see the hands. You've heard it said that it takes a village. It takes a community. It takes those who come alongside. God, I thank you for the gift that this body is. Would all of us be committed to this purpose of reaching the next generation, Lord? Give us hope. Give us patience, God, in this long process. 
Lord, but we know you're doing great things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.